J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley. And I'm delighted to have on my show today for the first time, Scott Rue from Boulder City in Nevada and in the United States. And he also, you know, he splits his time between Boulder City in Nevada and, and Tico in Wisconsin. I hope I've got that right, everybody. It, both of these uh, places where Scott lives, they are small little um, communities. Boulder City, I think, is a little bit bigger than uh, Antigua in Wisconsin. I've looked on um, Google Maps, and they're both in the middle of, ah, shall I say, hmm. Well, I'll let you go and have a look at Google and see for yourself, but uh, Boulder City is near Hoover Dam, everybody. And Antigua is in the middle of Wisconsin. It's a big state. But that's enough of that. That's enough geography for today. But Scott is here to talk about his book, Everything Has Meaning, and what the tree stand murders taught him about life, death, and destiny. The book is about all the trials and tribulations he's faced throughout his life, right from birth and almost to the present day. Yes, the book is almost, you know, is, is about Scott, but there is more to the book than just the events that impacted his life. What Scott wants is for you to take away from this book of his a couple of things. He wants you to reflect on who you are, why you're here, and what is your life about. Plus for you, to look at your own everyday meanings that impact your own life, how your past has influenced those meanings and how equally how those meanings could influence your future. Now, Scott was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's a devout Catholic. He has two grown up children. His mother was a Native American. He had a loving close relationship with his grandmother who had such an influence on his life and his brothers and his father was a dominant character in his life but what happened on one day in November shook them all and this is where the book starts to come in everybody so you want to know more keep listening uh, to what Scott has to say in this interview. So let's get him on to see what he and this book is about. Scott, come and join me on my show. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm so excited to uh, spend time with you and interviewing my book. It, this book is absolutely wonderful, everybody. It really is. And when you look at the cover... There is so much within that cover that gives it away. Now, Scott, um, I know I've hinted at what's happened in your past and what readers can expect 
to see and read in your book. But would you care to take us a little further with regards to how and why you wrote this book? Well, thank you, John, for asking me that question. Uh, I had something pulling me over the years. And uh, in my time, I had to sit down and think about it and be aware of things on earth and everything else. And why was this a purpose to write this book? Yeah. But uh, how I wrote this book was during COVID, uh, when the tragedy happened over the world. And the, the story was pulling me in my heart and soul. And so I went to Grand Canyon, this, you know, with my daughter from college. And it was really a unique day. It was a beautiful day. And when we went to Eagles Point, two eagles came to me and my daughter. And I recall the, to Caitlin and said, Caitlin, I'm writing a book. <laughs> and she said, well, Dad, okay. You know, she was smiling at me. And, you know, she knew I had a lot of obstacles in my, my life. And, and that's how I started because uh, the heart and my spirit was pulling me so hard. When people have that in their hearts, they should never stop. They should always go forward to do it. That's my message to people. So that's how I felt while writing this book. And I wanted to share my story to help others. Now, Scott, let's open the book. Okay. Um, now, we're not going to go in every single chapter, everybody, because that's not the purpose of this interview. The purpose of the interview is to give you a flavor of what the book's about. If you really want to know what the book's about, then you can go to his webpage and have a look. Or alternatively, quite simply, go and buy it. I can't be fairer than that. So before we came on, uh, Scott and I have spent several weeks chatting back and forth on Zoom and email. And we have chosen some chapters that we think best highlights the, um, the assets of this book, which... I have to say, I was totally engrossed with, I've been gripped by this book. It is just fascinating, everybody. The stories. Now, the chapters are very short, but they are succinct. So they're tantalising, they're tense, they're well-written. And as Scott takes you on his journey of his life, it is just gripping. I can't say more than that. So Scott, what I would like to do is let's take the audience to chapters two and three. Now, in chapter two, under the title December the 21st, 2006, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you talk about your father's actions on November the 21st, 2004 which had an enormous impact on you. So could you tell us what happened in that chapter? But before you answer here, I would like to also incorporate chapter three, which you titled September the 13th, 1961, Deaconess Hospital, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is you talking about the events surrounding your own birth and the experience around that birth. So what are these two chapters, chapters two and three in your book, Scott, about? And why are they there? What is the significance to you? 
Okay, thank you, John. Um, on, on the chapter two, it was on December 21st, 2006, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, there is a Carnegie Medal uh, for heroism over the world, and they only give that out to certain people uh, every year. And it's a funded to uh, heroism for Mr. K K Carnegie. And my father received that on December 21st, 2006. And that was really an important day for me because they show a recognition to him how his bravery, bravery was during the rampage shooting. Um, he, it was something that I do miss for what his actions were, but it was also how he was stressed and so forth that he was not able to concentrate anymore after that, that tragic event. So when I received that uh, information, the news contacted me, the newspapers and uh, local news uh, in two states contacted me about my father receiving the heroism. And I wanted to put this in my book, but an eagle came approached to me when, as soon as I got my first call. And I was uh, just, just something that, that was a message sent to me that a good thing is coming your way, Scott. And it sure was, it was. I mean, I explained how my father was a hero, but uh, he did the right thing to help others. And uh, just to take the tragedy from family and friends and and uh, just to take a step forward and never thought about itself. That's how I looked on Chapter 2, John. And how they all received the Carnegie Medal for Heroism. Uh, it's a very, very uh, powerful chapter, everybody. But chapter three for me, uh, Scott, is just as equally important because this is the events that surround your own birth mm -hmm. at the hospital in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us? Yes. Uh, I, I was born on September 13, 1961 at Deaconess Hospital. It's a Catholic hospital. Well, this is the story which I received not my, from my father, my original mom, uh, that had me. She was a very young, young person. Um, I would say very young. And so there was an issue there during our, her pregnancy uh, that I was told by her that uh, we were in the hospital for almost four days. Then they had to do some major surgery for my mother and me to survive. However, the news was, but I was informed by her that that a priest came to give my ma her last rites and me on the third day. So it, that's what I was informed by my mother, and she said it was a complicated, uh, you know, birth. And so that's where I was thinking about. I'm here today to talk about it. Uh, some people don't realize how life is so precious and and the miracles that do happen. And that's one of the things that I wanted to put in my book that I didn't never realize that I had that opportunity to be alive today. So I think the priest gave me a good prayer and said, no, you're, you're going to stay here and you got something to finish on earth. <laughs> so I'm, I'm smiling with it. I did put a little bit of a smile into the chapter about that. You did. And he obviously must have thought, the good Lord must have thought, he's got a book to write in his 60s, so we, we, we need to make sure, you know, he, he arrives safely on the planet. <laughs> yeah. That's right, John. I, I'm glad you're smiling. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Now, Scott, let's move to um, chapter seven and eight. As I said, all we're giving you, everybody, is just a tantalizing tease as to what this book is about. Now, so let's go to chapters, as I said, seven and eight. Um, this part of the book, 1970s, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and 1987, Northern California. Now, I noticed that at the start of all of your chapters throughout your book, you reference a quote from various famous people or sometimes non-famous people. And here we have on the chapter seven, the quote is, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. George Bernard Shaw. And life is what happens to us while we are making other plans. Alan Saunders, that's the quote on chapter eight. So my question to you, Scott, is why do you um, use these quotes and are they linked to the contents of the chapters they're linked with, they're associated with? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that, John. Uh, why I put these quotes, I had a number of them, but I wanted to make it to the quotes of the chapter, how I felt. And and it meant something to me, like you said, about George Benedict Shaw and, you know, others like you just mentioned. Uh, they have a lot of wisdom. And they, and if you listen to the words when they bring this up, if you want to look at, at them, most of them are all great writers, critics, authors. Um, they're like philosophers. And, and that's how I looked at it, John. I looked at, well, that's how I want to express myself in the book, but it was so hard to write that way. So I, like I said, I may mean, not have enough wisdom, John, to put that into uh, my words, but their words were just as powerful for me to put that in, in every chapter. Uh, it gives meaning of life and experience and, and uh, look at life a different way, because that's how they meant, you know, how they present themselves with these quotes. I understand that. I get that. But I just wanted you to tell the listeners that. <laughs> oh, there you I'm go. so glad, John. There you go, everyone. Um, <laughs> so let's have a look, Scott, at Chapter 7. Now, you start off by saying... Um, I have come to think life is a combination of many separate journeys that seem disconnected, but are not. And you continue with during the next 20 years, I felt like I was wandering through a big maze. And in chapter eight, you talk about being responsible for 5,000 accounts in San Francisco, Oakland and Sausalito. Plus, mm -hmm. you talk about your experiences at Shebok College and the discovering mm -hmm. the reason why you had difficulties learning at high school. So, Scott, mm -hmm. what are you telling the reader here about yourself and, and how are these events so important to you that they've impacted on you that you put them in this book? Tell us. Okay, well, thank you, John, again, for Chapter 7. Milwaukee's, you know, Wisconsin in the 70s, the world was world was changing. Uh, you know, the rights were coming. Uh, Martin Luther King, you know, assassinated. So 
Uh, Vietnam was still involved yet. It was a world that was turning around, you know, in a positive direction, in a way, because it was changing the world. It was showing people's rights and expressing their feelings and their rights. Well, when I was caught up in the 70s, my father and and my brother, we moved around a little bit uh, around the area within 10, 20 miles away from grandma and grandpa's house. And I had another troubled life a little bit. I had some disabilities that I wasn't aware of until I went to college. And uh, when I went to school, I was just always trying to do something to meet new friends again because it, it was hard to adjust because every time I went into a new school, it was something that, well, here I am. I got to you know present myself. I want to play sports. And then it was just a lot of changes. Plus, at that time, I heard maybe a couple of people getting divorces. Well, I didn't have a mother and a lot of them where I lived in the suburban areas, always had parents, a mom and a dad, or someone did pass away during their teenage lives or, uh, you know, senior year. And when I went to Catholic school, it was kind of hard because you didn't hear much of it. So I just had a, always a, a troubled time and I was caught up in the system of the school, public schools too, when I went to uh, elementary school, but I went to a Catholic school. So it was one of them kind of things in my life that I wanted to share to people if they're going through the same thing, that it's okay. You just got to be strong, look forward about your life and, and, and some meaning that you're here for a purpose, never give up. And that's why I put this in my chapter, that everyone goes through this. It's how you handle it and how, how you can guide yourself. And that's why I put this in my book about helping others and ones that love you are like angel helpers. That's what I put in my book. On, on chapter seven and eight, when you read my book, it's like my grandma, for example. I wanted to bring this up to you, John. I call them people like angel helpers. They're here for a purpose to help others to get you to the right path in life. Um, and that's how I looked at chapter seven. Do you think you had dyslexia? Yes, I did. I found that out during I went to college in chapter eight when you mentioned um, about uh, my time in California, I went in the service to to try to find myself. And that's where I think that was my early stage in my life, trying to learn about life and understanding about what the meaning is and so forth and, and, and trying to find myself who I am. So when I went to college, I it was a really unique story. I wanted to be a salesman because I knew I didn't have the academics to be a lawyer. And so if I did want to be a lawyer, it'd be very hard for me because it's a lot of reading, a lot of, you know, research. So I was a little disappointed, but I wanted to get into sales. And I remember knocking on a door and the guy, um, the gentleman was a, a manager for that department. And, and they all went to Stanford, uh, University of Berkeley, uh, prestige colleges. And I remember telling him, I said, I'll, I'll sell them and give me 60 days and I'll do the same thing. Well, he says you need a college degree. I wanted everyone to smile about this because this is what I experienced. And then I said, well, I guess I have to go to college. I want to be somebody. And so that's what made a big, you know, uh, focus in my life saying, okay, to be somebody, I have to go to college to do that position. And so I had a wonderful, wonderful college instructor, Mr. Kappa, uh, was a wonderful man. And uh, 
there was a, a talk about uh, unions and non-unions. And I, you know, expressed to him that I think if everyone worked together and they have their own contract and have their own uh, things to the corporations uh, to, you don't need a union or a non-union. It's just have your own paper and say, here's my five-year uh, contract and see how I performance. If it doesn't, then let me go. You know, I thought of that in 1984. And so I'm uh, uh, third in state in public relations in a deck and marketing club. But Kappa inspired me. He knew I had some academic problems. He talked to the college uh, teachers there to, you know, be aware of all my disabilities. And I, I really worked hard on it. I had to go after school for two hours to get back to my phonics, everything else to get into the college level. And so I really was determined, determined. And that's why, John, I put that part of my experience in life because I feel some people are like that too. And that's what I'm trying to do for the young or anyone that has that stuck. It's like stuck in the wheel. You're, you're, you're not going forward in life. And that's how I think we're all on this earth to continue to reach our destiny. Sure. I understand that because, I mean, kids back in the 1960s, you know, dyslexia wasn't the thing that was talked about. And, well, you were just thick, simple. You know, you weren't progressing. You know, it's your fault. Um, and the educational system, both here in the UK and in America probably, just didn't understand that, you know, this person, this child has got a disability. And it's only until later on that they... Uh, started to address this so i'm really pleased that you put this section in your book and that's why i chose and we agreed upon to talk about these chapters everything has oh, meaning thank you, everything has meaning and this is what this book yeah. is about <laughs> that is that, so true john we get that i want to thank you for yeah i want to thank you john for uh, bringing up these couple chapters because i think everyone has a story and in but how i took it is like you just mentioned, I, it was a problem and you really didn't know what was going on. And that's why I think I was pushed into another system in life, you know, like, okay, that's Scott, we'll just push him on and, you know, move on. So Absolutely. Uh, thank you for asking me about that chapter. So let's now, now thinking about moving on, let's move on, Scott. Let's go to chapter 13 and 14. That's a good link, everybody, isn't it? <laughs> um, now, these chapters are headed up Rice Lake, Wisconsin, 2000 and Rice Lake, Wisconsin, 2003. You talk about your father retiring in 2000. You move from California to Minnesota. Life on the road with work. Eagle encounters, visits. Native American Indian cultures. Because I understand quite clearly that the eagle is seen in, you know, Native American cultures as a medicine bird with magical powers. And it's a very, very important, um, you know, bird. So the relationships with the eagles is very important. And you talk about Native American beliefs. The creator has a reason for everything and everything has a meaning. And this is what this book is about, everybody. And you talk about your connection to the Mole Lake. I'm going to hope that I give this pronunciation all the dignity that it deserves, everybody. This is the tribe that his mother belonged to and who he belongs to, the Ojibwe tribe. 
I hope I've got near. Very good. I really do. And you talk about deer hunting, you talk about deer drives, and how the evil protected you, are your father and David on the fatal day in November mm-hmm. 2004. I just want to retract myself there. It's how the eagle mm-hmm. protected Scott's father and his friend David on that day in November 2004. So, because this is a very important part of the book, it's an important part of your life. So I'm going to ask you, how important are these chapters both to you personally and to the overriding contents of this book. Well, thank you, John. Uh, on chapter 13, my father, like you said, I was experienced uh, deer hunting drives. I don't know if someone were hunter, advocate hunters. I had cousins that had probably 20 to 30 years experience of drives and, and how you connected to get the animal out. But I'm just showing you experience of what I went through with my cousins teaching me that. However, with the tragedy, with my father and, and my cousin David, uh, it was unique, but I had to pay attention later in my life. But an eagle came to my father and my cousin Dave just 45 minutes, less than an hour before this tragic happened, this rampage shooting. And so later on, when my father did call me on the phone about the situation, it was world news, CNN, Fox, everywhere. It was a breaking news. Uh, my father, exact words said, Dad, Scott, I saw an eagle before I went into that uh, drive in the rampage shooting. So I, I thought later in my time, I spoke, spoke to the spiritual leader. He said, Scott, that eagle was a protection to you, to your father and to your cousin Dave as others passed away. Uh, six of them got shot, two survived, two were other shot, and then three had heart attacks. But my father and my cousin David survived that tragic event. And later in time, the uh, spiritual leader, Fred Ackley, told me there that was a protection for them that it was not going to hurt them themselves, but they have some other mission to do, you know, their other connection to life. And it all made sense to me when he said that. And then I kept on writing my notes about, about the eagle and the symbol, you know, the symbol of that great bird. It's in the Bible. Uh, It's, it's a powerful bird. And why do we have this? And so it gives you messages about good things or be aware of things. It's always protecting the person. And that's one of the chapters that you just brought up, John. Uh, chapter 14, uh, you know, as my father in 2003, that's where I did that drive uh, with my cousins and experience uh, all that uh, deer hunting um, a year before it all happened that I experienced a drive, which I was with the same people for many years, hung out with them. And so uh, they were so knowledgeable, but that sport, it's a sport, but it's a family. Uh, uh, in Wisconsin, it's a big thing uh, for deer hunting. It's over 650,000 deer hunters in that state go deer hunting. It's a, a family tradition. And I didn't realize how powerful deer hunting is to the state of Wisconsin. So when you hear tragedies like this that did happen, it was one of the worst 
that came to that uh, deer hunting massacre. But I just wanted to explain my experiences about hunting and how they survive and how they take it and they share their their animal and, and take every piece. They there were never abusive to the sport. They used it to provide their family for food. And that was just the way how Wisconsin was. It was uh, getting together with a bunch of guys or women or wives. And it's just a fun thing to do. And then they go ahead and provide their food for family. They don't do it just for a sport. They do it for, for food. And according to my spiritual leader, he told me some things when you go hunting, Scott. You pray for that deer because it's coming back because he's taking your life so you can learn to survive and eat. So you have to pray. That's later on in my lifetime, John, that uh, when my spiritual leader, John, uh, Fred Ackley, explained to me how to hunt, how to respect the animal, and then, you know, it will show you respect back. And you always pray for them. And when they pass away, you give them the four directions of healing because they have a heart and a spirit too, so they can come back. And they gave me food to su su supply to my family. And that's why I look at two different directions of how the natives believe, how they respect the animal and, 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 and show respect to that animal. As my family did too in the state of Wisconsin, they do the same thing, but a different way. They just take care of it, but they pray more to it. I never seen a lot of them pray for, uh, just for a good hunt, but the natives make it more to an extreme. That's how I, I looked at it, John. And that's why I wanted to incorporate those chapters in the book. Now, Scott, I would like to take the audience to chapters 18 and 19 so that they can get a stronger sense and understanding as to what your book is about. So in chapter 18, headed up April 2005, Min and Hestra, Minnesota, you chose a quote by Pablo Picasso. Everything you can imagine is real. You talk a lot about orbs, ghost orbs, spirit orbs, and paranormal orbs. Orb sightings in the battlefields in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Of course, there was a famous speech there by a president. Your father's passing in Chapter 19, you talk about Native American burial sites, the mounds. Would you care to um, elaborate, Scott, as to what the storylines are here and why they form such a significant part of this book? Well, thank you, John. On Chapter 18, I'm glad you brought about that chapter. Uh, during my life experiences, John, this was another experience which I didn't understand in, in the Native culture. And that's why I said to myself, why am I continuing to have these dreams or experiences and, and orbs? And I, I never had that in my lifetime, but during the time of this period of the tragic or just a little bit before when the eagle was sent to me, this orb came to me and touched me within 90 days. And it was the middle of the night and I said, what the heck was that little white ball? And it touched me and it felt like it burned my shoulder. And I had to explain that when I was writing because I had Steve Bradshaw to make sure, because he wanted detail on how to explain it. 
So when I wrote it, he just had to make sure the word was right. It was burning me, but didn't leave a, a mark on my shoulder. And I just recalled on it. It was around two, three o'clock in the morning, went right through my window and took off. So during that time, I, I talk about that orb and I had to look and research that. And then later on, when I heard about these orbs, I, I talked to the spiritual leader uh, that I met, Fred Ackley, which I mentioned before. He said, those orbs are a spiritual guide again. And I that's all he gave me. And I said, okay, because I didn't understand it. Then I talked to my priest, because it was that year. I It was my grandma's 90th birthday. And I talked to Father Pete, a wonderful priest. And was with our family for almost 20 years with my grandma and grandpa. So you could see the belief in, in the concentration of the Catholic background. And I talked to him about that. I said, I even had a dream about my father uh, during his passing. I had, it was like deja vu. It all was there about the deer hunting pass away. I explained that to him. And that priest said to me right off the bat, the Catholic priest, he said, Scott, sometimes I heard this maybe 11 times in my priesthood. He's well, at the time, 67 years old. And he said, I did hear that. But what I believe in this, God, is God prepared you for your father's death in another journey. That's exact words he told me as a priest. So I had to keep that kind of quiet uh, when I saw my father within that nine months to a year when I looked at him all the time. Uh, I had that dream. And I had, they call visions going to the Native American Indians. And then why I bring about the orbs is because right next door to me, there was a mound that was a burial site from the Sioux tribe, which later I found this out. And I remember the farmer uh, mentioned to me because he was doing uh, some uh, farming on that parts of the land. And he said there would be, uh, there, this was where the natives were from the Sioux tribe by the lake. And so I had to look into it more and more and I found the notes and there was a number of uh, mounds and burial sites which a lot of people don't know when they walk through the woods. That could be a burial site from a native tribes. And so that's where I felt really uh, connected again because right next to me, there was the mound. So maybe the spirits were coming to me. I don't know. I, I just was shocked and, and I didn't know how to express myself. But I think a lot of people have this, but they don't know how to react to it and don't know how to say anything or talk to people about it because they might think it's, you know, unusual, or maybe they had something to them. But I look back in history, too. That's why they uh, beheaded witches and so forth, you know, because maybe they had spiritual things like that. Uh, so you could tell I did some research reading about it before I did this chapter, but I had to experience it. And I also had to talk to the priest, uh, Father Peter, down in Milwaukee, because I could not hold that in. And I wanted to know why I had that. So that was a big part of this chapter, John, about this orbs. And and the white orb was the one that touched me because they had a number of colors of orbs. You know, their dark ones are not good, according to what I was reading in my research. And Steve Bradshaw, the white one is a spiritual one, which my father, I always thought, was a very spiritual man. He was a very uh, dedicated man. He was dedicated to his job. So I, I knew that was the right orb that I seen. 
So, because uh, it was a bright little white light. So I, I just was shocked. I just had expressed that in my book. I understand that, Scott. So um, now I was fascinated, Scott, why you used a quote from Jane Austen. Um, what strange creatures brothers are. And they are. Now, it's at the top of Chapter 21, which you head up, May 2005, Bryce Lake, Wisconsin, to associate with the chapter. But that's just a personal thought. I just thought, you know, you put in this um, quote and linking it to this chapter, I thought, hmm, where's the connection here? But I'm sure there is one. But that was just my personal thought. But in this chapter, here I find you talking about the white orb. Now, you've already started to talk about this. And you talk about the trip back to Rice Lake, three months after your father's passing, and the conversation you have with Greg. You talk about portals into the afterlife, gateways to other dimensions. For me, this is exciting stuff it's exhilarating stuff would you care to open up as to what's going on here and would you also tell us the story in chapter 22 december 2004 minneapolis wisconsin so could you tell us what these two chapters are about scott sure i i will uh thank you again john i you know chapter 21 was uh, like I said, you do mention that with the 90 days uh, when my father has passed. Uh, I do remember, you know, explaining this to myself. And then I did explain it to my brother about the experiences and it felt empty. But we were sitting in the back of the porch and we were talking about our father and everything else. And when I explained about the orbs and my other dimensions and a lot of things about my dreams, that I explained to my uh, my brother, he just, you know, he put it in his heart that I know, Scott, we miss dad and everything else. And, and uh, you know, he was just kind of opening up, but in a small way. But he knew he had love and he knew he trusted me and he believed in me. And that was a big important thing to me because I, I know my brother my whole life, which he was born on the same day as I am, but two years apart. So that's pretty unique too. I put that in my book. We're really? two years. Yep. We're two years apart. Same day, September 13th, 1963. And I was born night, September 13th, 1961. So we we're like twins, <laughs> but he's, he's a big guy. He's about six foot four, but he's, he was a gentleman with a big, nice, humble heart. And so when I explain my experiences, and he was looking at the sky by the lake at the lake home. The, the, the eagle came right to the tree and looked at us and stared at us. So my brother really like, got freaked. He felt really like, oh, my God, my brother's scaring me now because I was talking in my experiences with the orbs and everything else. And then he just, he was shocked. He was shocked when he saw that eagle because I said, you watch, Greg, when I'm explaining to you, this eagle is going to come to us. And sure enough, it did. Exact time when I was done saying all this to him, that eagle came, flew right in front of the tree, about 50 yards away from us and staring at me and my brother. So that's how I was trying to show my brother that there is a connection. There is a belief. 
There is something that I have to figure out in my lifetime yet to understand this. Am I ever going to maybe understand it 100%? I don't know. That's why we're on earth today. And uh, we don't have all the answers. And that's that's part of what we are today on earth. We've tried to figure it out and do the best we can. You know, like you see, you did talk about my little quotes on top. I remember, you know, a couple of them that uh, I thought, well, life, you know, you live so much in life and um, you learn so much, but there's so much to learn. You know, we don't have, we only here for a certain time on earth. And, and that's what I wanted to always put down for people too, because the world goes fast and we're only here for a certain time. And so that's why I put that in that chapter 21 too. the experience, my experience on earth, like everyone has a different experience, but this mm-hmm. is my positive way to take me to the right direction. And in chapter 22? Yeah, chapter 22. This was a unique uh, chapter. Um, yeah. The reason why I bring this chapter up pretty strong is uh, when the shooting happened in the Rampage shooting in 2004, the Green Bay Packers, if anyone knows about National Football League, because uh, it was world news, they did something on Monday Night Football. And, and it made me feel how powerful, how people can get together when tragic events happen, how they can still support, how how people are with different color, race, background, whatever, religion. When some tragedies come, you can see how people can go back and support and and fight for that person and and, and give them love and support and, and guidance in their grief. And that's what it was so unique about this part of this chapter that I wanted to mention. When the Green Bay Packers... And uh, when they played the uh, St. Louis Rams on a Monday night football, everyone wore orange and they made a per- announcement to the ones that we lost during the state of Wisconsin's deer hunting uh, tragedy. So that was one part I had, I had to put in. And also I took my father to a football game that year. And my friend Patrick, I, he was a great friend of mine. And he bought my father... Um, a Christmas present uh, for his fireplace, some gloves. And, and Packy knew my father over the years and that was his nickname. And he noticed my father looked very pale. He looked not right. He looked tired and he looked like in shock, state of shock yet within the 90 days. And that's when my, my friend Patrick said, Scott, I don't think your father doesn't look good. And I'm being upfront because I've known your father for uh, many years and I, he doesn't look right. And I could tell uh, how he was treating my son and my daughter in, in the more, you know, for Christmas Day when I took them to the game. He was not as excited like he used to be. It's like he lost something. Mm. And then, that's why I had to put this in my chapter because I seen him not looking right, but I didn't know what it was. And I think it was after the research that I found out later in my time that he had some kind of PTSD. And so when people go through tragic events like war or uh, a flood or they lost loved ones, it's a shock to the people that they love and and, and people handle different things differently. And that's where I figured out in time that he had them kind of uh, symptoms of PTSD uh, because his personality, 
And later in time, I talked to my stepmother, Francine, that he was not the same. He'd be up all night till three in the morning, just pacing. So it was not so much in the book, but I just put enough to put it in to make it clean. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go to detail because I'm not a medical doctor. No. Let's um, go to chapters. Um, You know, I've got to say this. I bet on your birthday, your brother would say, yeah, you're the older of the two of us. But he reminds me that all the time. I can just say it. Yeah. That is so true, John. Yeah. That is so true. Now let's go to, to the last section of the book we want to go to. We're going to go to chapters 28 and 29, everybody. Now, 28, you kick start with a quote. And it's, while I thought that I was learning how to live, I have been learning how to die. But the one thing that got my attention here was the circle of life. Having four primary directions and four spiritual gateways supported with a diagram. Would you care to explain this diagram and what you're talking about here? Yeah, uh, thank you, John. On chapter 28, this is what I have learned, and it's uh, from Fred Ackley. He gave me a little touch of of the wheel, the circle of life, and there's four directions, just like um, how he explained it to me the first time I talked to him. Uh, He said, like, you have spring, summer, winter, and fall, and that's how he explained this to me, north, east, south, and west. Um, you know, he just helped me out to understand it a little easier than what he would explain to others because it's it's hard to explain, but it's a wheel of life according to the uh, tribes. And most tribes have this. This is the wheel, the circle of life. And that was a unique chapter uh, I had to put in. And I've been hearing people that did read my book, they, they were fascinated how that how the wheel is. Um, but every culture has something like this, John. Every uh, culture has a different way of looking at their life or their symbolism. But, but according to the natives and my tri- our tribe uh, was talking about the, uh, you know, the directions of uh, the color, the, uh, the north, east, south, and west. It's also it talks about the direction uh, from the left, from the west and north and east and south. It puts you when you were young to when you get older and then you go to the circle of life because it pushes you to put you into that state of the circle of the wheel itself. And so uh, I explained it. I hope I did the best. This was probably one of the hardest subjects I had to put in my book because it was really had to be explained clearly how I saw it, not according to my spiritual leader, how I saw it when he was telling me about the wheel. So when you look at the chapter, everybody, just have a look at the diagram. I want to go on to Scott, to chapter 29, uh, because I think this is a very important chapter as well. The OGWB prayer. And the teachings of the seven grandfathers and how they give rise to the teachings of the circle of life. So, you know, you've got the seven grandfathers instructions, you know, for my life, uh, which I found was mind blowing. Just very briefly, enlighten us all here. Okay. Thank you again, John. (laughs) You're doing a lot of thank yous. (laughs) 
Well, I did a lot uh, of thank yous, everybody. Well, I have to because uh, John's been making me feel really comfortable with this uh, subject about chapter 28, 29. It's so hard to explain uh, how I had to write it. I wanted to make it simple for everyone. The, the seven grandfathers is like the Catholic uh, uh, religion, you know, like Moses came and gave us all information to the fathers of the Catholic and, you know, John and everything else. Well, according to the Native American Indians, they had the same similarities of from their ancestors, same way. And they were the seven grandfathers that would give you teach, teach you of uh, cherish, um, you know, about your wheel of life. When I put in chapter 28, the four directions, this one gives you a purpose, how you got to that stage of the wheel. And that's what I put it down. Like, um, for example, uh, according to the seven grandfathers, uh, the wording is really hard to explain because it's, it's, it, it's all in native language. So I want to just make it clear, like the seven grandfathers for me was the Grand Canyon with Kathleen and an Indian mountains and my Ryan's feather and a Chippewa uh, mother's earth. You know, I put these down for all the connections with the seven grandfathers, what I went through in my life and how the wheel was pushing me into every direction, into the circle. And that's what I wanted to teach people. If they want to use my idea or the natives idea, how they may help themselves, how I was pushing to a positive direction. Now, like I was explaining earlier, sometimes the, some people get stuck. They don't go all the way to that full wheel of life before they go to the next life. And so uh, according to the natives, that's how they want you to live your life is to, to your fullest and have strength. And when you're down and out and you don't have something that you can't get through and, and you have to push it. And that's what according to the seven grandfathers want you to experience and surround yourself with love and, and you'll have all the signs and symbols on earth to direct you to that to that circle of you or that other person. So they have to use that. My circle of my life was my ego. I wanted to put that in there, that the ego later in life, I followed my direction, my path to get to the circle of life. Now, later in my life, I will go to the north. And the north is when you get elders with some wisdom in your life, and that's where you finish your life. I wanted to put that in there because that's how I see me right now. I'm, I got a place in Antigo. I'm finishing my circle of my life. I don't know how long I will be here, but it looked like I went to the right path. I had struggles. I had things like that chapter you brought up that I had to find myself going to the military. That was another step into the wheel in the seven grandfathers would put me into that to learn and then I'll keep on moving forward. You know, that's why they have the four directions. So sure. it's a complicated uh, chapters, but I try to make it as clear as I could. And I put examples further seven grandfathers, which I just mentioned on one of, uh, uh, of the seven grandfathers, like the other one, Zygamla, uh taught me as a child to know love is to know peace. For me, it was birth and deaconess and grandma Kathleen and Packers game with my dad in the orbs. 
So I kind of broke it down. When people read my book, they'll see what I went through in my life. I'm not finished yet because now at the end, I can also say I wrote a book and passing it on to others to share my experiences to help others on life or the young. I really want to work for the young because I want to give them the right direction of you're here for a purpose and, and don't give up and, and this is something that you have to get through sure. and everyone on the unknown that's what the earth is okay so that's the book everyone um do you intend to write another book scott excuse me john do you intend to write another book oh yeah well john you know i'm glad you mentioned that because i had a couple people that uh, put it in some of my amazon review and some of the letters that which i received from the consumers that did buy my book uh, they want me to write another book. And if I did something like that, I want to know more about my culture and then the one's experiences that people had uh, shared their experience after they read my book. I mean, I explained about the owls according to the native tribes. And I had one that wrote me a letter and I couldn't believe what I heard. She paid attention. She heard the owl and there was a sickness in her family uh, and positive things about the eagle. I explained about some animal symbols to be aware of. So I'm getting letters that people are paying attention. It's just, you got to teach that. And that's, yeah. and, and it will guide you. That's why God gave these species on earth to, to find yourself. And it might be your symbol itself with, uh, like mine was the eagle. That was my eagle symbol. And so it all made sense why I wrote this book. And I like to share well, maybe another book in my lifetime uh, for all the people that did write, uh, read my book and share their stories, what I listened to them, you know. So I, maybe I might do something like that because it's a unique. Uh, the letters are touching to me, John, when I receive some of them. Uh, and and that's what what how I wrote this book is I'm making someone paying attention and sharing my wisdom that I learned my life to give that uh, give that to them absolutely so who would you like um to read your books you know who would you like to see reading your books young old everybody who have you well uh, who's your market well so far i noticed uh i won a number award uh i won my fourth award for um for this book and the majority of them are putting it down for inspirational new age angels, spiritual uh, teenage adults. Cause I have this book very clean. I don't talk about the rampage shooting as much. I just talk about the connections with the life itself. I talk about Catholic beliefs and, and I don't want to put it down in no one's throat, but it, it, it helped me to guide my journey as a Catholic. And, and then I was very blessed to have a mother that was part Native to learn their culture to put it all together. So I think I have a bigger audience than just about the Natives. I want people to understand that uh, why did I receive this from my mother's side of the heritage and why it worked for me as a Catholic. I mean, so I, I, I look at both and there was a reason for me to have both on Earth. And, and that's why I want to share that to, to the audience. So yeah, if you have some trauma in your life, like uh, I had some, I don't want to 
give everything about my book, but I had some trauma, uh, you know, trauma yeah. and my disabilities and so forth. They have to read that, but that's another thing. It's hope. And, and, and you're, like I said, you're here on earth to the unknown and you want to enjoy it as much as you can. Scott, where can people get your book from? Oh, well, thank you for asking, John. They can, they can send me an email. Uh, uh, everything matters. 13, 13 at gmail.com. I can sign it for them and then they can just send me a check or they can go to Amazon, Barles and Noble or any where books are sold. They just have to ask for it to uh, get the book at their local bookstore. So if they ask for everything has a meaning by Scott Rule, they can uh, just ask them uh, at the bookstore and it will take maybe uh, three to five days to get it. Uh, but Amazon, you can get it in Kindle. You can get it in uh, hard copy, soft copy. And uh, part of my proceeds are going to St. Jude's Ranch. Uh, Mole Tribe and Senior Centers because I want to give some profits to people that are in need if I do make some profits. And that's what I want to do on my book. I want to give things back on earth before I go to the next life. All I have to say now is, Scott Rue, thank you very much for coming on my show and talking a bit about yourself and your book, Everything Matters. Everything has meaning, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's everything okay. has meaning and that was a fraudulent slip everybody I'm JD Crowley thanks for listening wherever you are in the world stay safe until next time <laughs>